This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, welcome back to another edition of the Book of Joe podcast with me, Tom Verducci, and Joe Madden. And Joe, we are less than a month away from the Major League Draft. July 9th is when it begins, so it's a good time to talk about something I know is near and dear to your heart, the business of scouting, identifying talent. And we've got one of the best in the business with us to talk about that today. Josh Burns, Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations for the L.A. Dodgers. Josh, welcome, and thanks. I know this is a super busy time of year for you, so thanks for popping on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're talking about that. I mean, I'm just real quickly. I mean, yeah, I, I started out as a scout. I, I know Tommy knows that. Maybe Josh does. But that that was the, that is the foundation for everything I've done in this game, I believe. Um, the fact that Bobby Fontaine, uh, actually Larry Himes, permitted me to scout when I first signed up in 1981 made all the difference in the world for me as a, as a baseball person, man. It made me a better manager, better coach, better everything, evaluator. I feel like I can contribute because I actually learned how to scout first. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I really, it's the lifeblood of an organization. People have no idea. Nobody knows who these people are. These scouts are lifers. They are the funniest, grisliest, uh, bestest <laughs> friends you're ever going to have. Funny. God, they make me laugh. So anyway, I'm very fortunate that I started out as a scout. Just wanted to say that first, Josh. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. As I mean, as people ask about like getting started in the business and wherever they are, especially if they're young and they're in college, I'll say, hey, go to a college game, go to Cape Cod, go to a minor league game, write down what you see, uh, learning how to uh, evaluate and put your thoughts down uh, is a great foundation for an individual and certainly for the organization. Well, Josh, let's start then with your origin story in the game because you did start in the Cleveland organization, I believe, first as an intern and then working as an advanced scout and then eventually scouting director. So tell me about your entree into Major League Baseball. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And, and um, you know, I interviewed in the old ballpark in Cleveland and uh, they offered me the internship. And then we moved into Jacobs Field. And um, so in, in 94, I was interning. Uh, obviously, the strike was going to hit later that summer. Um, but it was a great shop, small shop with John Hart, Dan O'Dowd, Mark Shapiro and others. And, um, you know, to, to kind of the theme of this discussion, I remember this is sort of early days of computers, but 
you know, I had nothing to do. I had no money and, and the ability just to go in the file drawers and read scouting reports uh, to me was um, one of the greatest things as I was starting out, kind of how people evaluated players and, and how they broke them down. So um, it was a great time. Uh, we, we kind of felt like even with the new ballpark and the talent, uh, the franchise was about to turn. Um, and I got sort of thrown into the advanced scouting. It's actually a funny story. Um, you know, the bat system, we were the second to use it, which charts uh, pitches, pitch type, pitch location. You build a database. There was no centralized database, but I was doing it uh, to kind of support our advanced scouting. Um, you know, spray chart, Buddy Bell was our bench coach, um, hot zone, cold zone type stuff. Bill Regan, our pitching coach, like that. Um, so then uh, later in the summer, if you remember, the Orioles were in Seattle and the series got canceled because a, a roof tile fell off the kingdom roof. And um, John Hart came to me and said, okay, can you do the whole report A to Z, just go back a series on videotape with the Orioles? Uh, so I was nervous. I, I did it. I, you know, there's no email. There's no, you know, so I wrote the report, hand delivered it to Baltimore with the staff um, sat there, you know, on pins and needles watching us play that series. And then, uh, John and, and Dan said, okay, you're the advanced scout. So we're going to do it off video. So we were the first team to do it that way. And, and, um, then you, you add in the people, I mean, Mark Wiley, uh, by 95 was our pitching coach. Um, he was great. And then, you know, we had veteran pitchers, Oral Hershaz or Dennis Martinez, Charles Nagy, who really could execute. We had Sandy Alomar, Tony Pena's catchers. So if, if um, and obviously in the advanced scouting then and now, I think what you control is the pitches you throw. Um, and we, even though we were known for our offense, we, we had the league in ERA uh, the two years I did it full time, 95 and 96. And, uh, but the people, uh, Mark Wiley in particular, were just great as I, as I was handing off the information. I remember all that. I mean, you did have a really good pitching staff there. They were outstanding. Um, yeah, known, known for the offense, great team on the field, but the pitching was that good. And we were talking about right there the kind of the, um, the how it morphed from traditional, just a couple dudes in the stands to the, to, to the more uh, video-driven tech way of, of accumulating advanced information, which I'm – I've been an advocate of from the beginning. We had Matty Keogh back in the day, and Matty was uh, almost like a little computer himself. But I always believed that, you know, you needed to do both. I, I still believe that. Um, I still, the way information is gathered today, yeah, I want all this this large sample stuff that we can get. It's got every game every day, and not just uh, when you play against them. But I also like somebody in the stands. I mean, to me, one of the most critical things you could do is steal signs. And I, I know that's I'm not talking like through technology. I mean, through good old scouting methods. If, if a, a guy in the stands could pick up on something that could be as relevant or pertinent as anything else you could acquire uh, during that time that you're studying a videotape, because those one or two moments in a, in a series can absolutely change things if you got a guy that's that astute in the stands. So I still like the idea of both. Is that happening or is it just pretty much primarily tech? Is it video? Or are we you still utilizing that with uh, some tried and true good old baseball dudes in the stands? Well, it's it depends. Postseason time, I think we're putting people in the stands. But I, I, it's it's even though, um, and I'm you know kind of the old guy with the Dodgers. But it's it's I think you know the tech can get us uh, a little two dimensional. So I'm yeah. really spending a lot of time um, with our guys and um, on how to build these game plans. I mean, even just I was in Tulsa last week and we have. It's funny, like you go back how quickly this happens. Diego Cartaya is a well-regarded prospect catcher, and he's in Double A. We have a great staff in Double A. Um, and one of the exercises I did with Diego this this off season was on Ellie De La Cruz, who they were in the same league for much of last year. So we really sat down how to watch video, how to take notes, how to test your theories. You can dig into the data, not get into the rabbit holes, but be able to go into a meeting before a game. Uh, with some fundamentals, and this goes back 30 years. How do mm -hmm. I want to get ahead? Um, if I'm behind, what options do I have? If I'm ahead, how do I finish them? And and start to frame up, um, you know, discussion that way because I I don't want those guys 
to just learn how to memorize a chart. They've got to feel the game. They've got to understand the game. Um, they've got to sort of be able to do both, be able to like see video, see swing, see adjustments, um, and, and test it and understand it with, with some principles that we can come up with, with the data. I think it's great because I'll tell you one thing that people don't realize. I mean, for years when we started out, uh, to teach catchers, that stuff wasn't, wasn't even happening. I mean, when I was actually the, the catching instructor and if you're the catching instructor in the minor leagues in the eighties, you have no time to really delve into the mental component of the game. How do you actually, um, you know, prepare for a series, a major league series? How do you pitch to certain hitters? What is expansion of the strike zone? What is underneath the hitter? When do you elevate? When do you elevate in? All that stuff really is not never was never discussed on the minor league level. So by the time a catcher got to the big leagues, man, you're playing catch up in a hurry. And there's all, like you're saying, all this stuff thrown at you. So I like the idea now that uh, minor league wise, we are getting ahead of that with the catchers because there is, wow, there's such a glut of information on a, on a series by series, night by night basis. And you are, are asking these guys to digest a lot. And it's almost impossible and it can become confusing, the rabbit hole that you're talking about. So it's cool. I mean, I like the idea that you're talking about balancing both old with the new. But understand, man, catchers today in today's world market, catchers have so much to to study on. At some points, at times, I think it becomes oppressive to the point it becomes almost counterproductive. So it's you need to develop your own cocktail. How do we present this? How could our catchers remember this? How could they actually utilize this? And to me, that's the best way to get um, all this information taken from data, video, whatever, and put behind the plate and utilizing the game. Yeah, 100 percent. Well, Joe, Joe, let me follow up on that, because, you know, the Dodgers do have a good one there. And Will Smith and Josh was there overseeing the draft in 2016, first round pick out of Louisville. So, Josh, when you're evaluating catchers um, and we know a lot of these college catchers, they're they're doing everything that the, the the coach is telling them to do. They're not really thinking themselves in the course of calling pitches and, and running a game. So what what's the challenges now in not just identifying, but developing young catchers in this major league environment that, that Joe talked about? Well, Joe's right. Let me follow up on that. I, I think the position is the hardest position in sports, maybe other than quarterback. When you, when you think of everything, um, I mean, I listened to your podcast last week and, and, uh, thinking about like Adley Rutschman and, and some of the, those leadership and tangible qualities he's bringing to a team and, and the prep. And, and, and there's a lot, I've spent a lot of time on this. You know, you, you start even with Will Smith as he was coming through the minors. Um, AJ Ellis and I used to talk about this. So how much time do you have to devote to a series? Um, you know, it might be 90 minutes to go through 13 hitters. That's fine. You know, I would put like Yasmani Grandal on the clock. You have five minutes to go through Buster Posey against right-handed pitching. Come up with something, have some work product, get it, start the discussion. Because to Joe's point, if it's too much or it's too much memorization, we're probably not getting anywhere. You need to have some knowledge that you can get into a game, feel the game, understand the adjustments. I think it's one of the benefits of the minor leagues with these six-game series now they're playing a team a lot in a short amount of time. So there's some, there's some ebb and flow to how, you know, if we're going to pitch a guy the same way for six days, uh, he's going to adjust to it. So um, even in that setting uh, this past week, uh, you know, probably the best I've been around was Jason Veritek and talking about, you know, when you overexpose a pitcher location or are we going inside uh, to influence the hitter? Or are we going inside for strikes and really understanding the push pull of it um, which is is feeling the game, understanding the game more than just memorizing a chart. You know, and talk and regarding the catchers now, which you're going to be looking for down the road. If in fact, or I'm, I'm sure, obviously thought about it, but the potential for the electronic strike zone. How's this going to influence? First of all, do you think it's going to happen? If it's going to happen, how would that then influence your scouting of catchers? And what are we looking for in catchers? I mean, um, there's definitely be a different skill set involved, uh, different mindset regarding how to to do all this. Is that Something you guys have discussed, is that something baseball in general is discussing? Or do you think this is really not going to happen? Uh, because to me, I obviously, if, if we do go electronically, you're going to uh, settle regarding what a, an actual catcher can do, I think, uh, behind the plate, receiving strikes, et cetera. And then that will also influence how you're going to scout that position too. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and um, 
you know, I think most people, I think MLB has, has gotten this feedback that to go to a totally automated strike zone is probably going too far. And, and I know, you know, we have it immediately on our phones. We can look at pitches and you have it on Twitter and, and you know, when the umpires miss calls. But that's also part of the game. And I think if we go um, too far, we might, like, distort the catcher position more than we would ever want to. Um, that, yeah, like, framing's part of it. But we've always said, look, game calling, targeting, receiving, blocking, throwing, how you lead a staff. There's a lot to it other than just the the, the printout of your framing score. And, and I think finding, creating a system where, yeah, balls are balls and strikes are strikes, but that we don't change the position fundamentally, uh, I think is important. Obviously with the running game now, um, you know, we're spending more energy on, on uh, catchers throwing, pitchers holding them on, infielders making tags. And, and I think these are good things. This is more, there's more to the game, but I think to totally automate the strike zone, we probably go too far. Um, you, know, you, you look at teams now, I think some teams, even at the major league level, are having their catchers set up more middle, um, not trying to sort of set up on either side and steal strikes, try to give the pitcher a better target. And what's the sort of trade off of that? Um, so, you know, if we get to like three challenges, a little bit of strategy in the game, the egregious call, high leverage call can be looked at more like tennis. Um, okay. But I think to go every pitch of every game, my sense is that most people in the game think that's going too far. I agree. Amen to that, Josh. And uh, for people who are not familiar with the challenge system that's been used in the minor leagues, it, it works well. It's very cool. As, as Josh alluded to, you get three challenges in a game, and it does not come from the dugout. The catcher, the pitcher, the hitter are the ones who can say, hey, I don't, I don't think you, you got that call right. And just like the Hawkeye system in tennis, it, you'll see even on a video board, the, the computer readout, whether that ball is in the strike zone or not, you know very, very quickly. There's no real wasted time here. Um, and, and I like the fact that it's a strategic element because obviously you're not going to challenge a pitch in the first inning on a 1-1 pitch, but those key pitches that may decide a game, talking bases loaded, 3-2 pitch, you know, eighth, ninth inning, we want to get those right. So I think the system works quickly. I think there's some fan engagement involved with it as they can follow along in real time. Um, and, and it and it seems to work well. It does not slow the game down. So I, I think that transition, it, that's the way to go for me as well. I would not want to see the full-on robo-ump, so to speak, right away. We talked a lot about technology, and certainly, Josh, you know well, there's a lot of science involved in the scouting business. Let's talk a little bit about the art of scouting and some of the so-called magic involved with identifying and developing talent. We'll talk about that when we get back on The Book of Joe. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does sleeping hot keep you up at night? Meet the Lisa Chill Collection. These cooling mattresses work like magic with a cool-to-the-touch cover, zoned springs, and comfy foam layers. Say goodbye to restless nights and wake up refreshed. Lisa's Chill Mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers that whisk away heat, so you always sleep just right. These hybrids blend up to 1,032 breathable springs and plush foams for the ultimate cooling and comfort. And the Chill Collection doesn't just feel great, it looks great too. With thoughtful design and pillowy quilt tops. No matter your budget, Lisa has a Chill Mattress for you. For a limited time, save up to $460 on Chill Mattresses and get two free pillows. 
iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. With Lisa, your purchase has purpose. Every year, Lisa donates thousands of mattresses to those in need. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. And, and Josh, when I look back at you know your career and some of the drafts that you have overseen, you want to go back to when you were in Arizona, 2006 to 2010, uh, the Diamondbacks had the highest career combined war from those drafts together. People like Scherzer, Goldschmidt, A.J. Pollock, and now recently with the Dodgers since 2015, it's just amazing the finds that the Dodgers not only have gotten in the draft, but developed in the farm system. You know, maybe you can say Will Smith, Walker Bueller, those guys may be obvious to a lot of people. We're talking about number one picks. But the Dodgers have had a high hit rate in my book on especially college players drafted later in rounds, you know, the Tony Gonsolins, the Andre Jacksons, uh, Johnny DeLuca just called up to the big leagues, 25th rounder, um, Gavin Stone, fifth round. There's a lot of guys, Josh, that the, the Dodgers have identified and developed that exceeded what the industry thought of them. This, I know it's a tricky question to kind of summarize, but is there something that you feel the Dodgers are doing well in that regard? Because as successful as Los Angeles has been, you guys are not picking at the top of the draft. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, I mean, in some ways it's sort of obvious, but I I think, you know, like when people say, well, the Dodgers success has been sort of checkbook baseball. Well, yeah, we have we've had a high payroll and we've been able to be aggressive at the top of the market. But uh, if you flip it to the draft, uh, this is my ninth year with the Dodgers. I mean, we've sort of obviously spent the least amount of draft dollars. The system sort of flips itself on the other end that we pick late. We've lost picks with free agency. So just in aggregate dollars um, among 30 teams, we've spent the least. So when we talk to our guys, uh, we're like, look, we're, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage as we go into the draft, um, we've got to find, we've got to obviously get our top picks right, but we've got to be relentless finding mid and late round players. And so there's, there's a messaging and an importance placed on it, but, and then the execution is, you know, our scouts are, are really good at it. They take a lot of pride in it. We're even at this like point in the calendar uh, before we even get into meetings, we're going through zooms and going through these depth guys. And it's, it's, you know, obviously seeing all these players, writing reports, talking about them all spring is time consuming. This point in the calendar, um, trying to rank them and build little pockets of players. Um, and then, um, you know, the best I've been around, Paul Kogan, who I worked with in Cleveland um, and, and was able to bring him over to L.A. And he had a lot to do with James Altman and Dean Kremer and, and a lot of these guys. Um, you know, he just has an incredible knack for understanding what a mid or late round guy is and understanding the odds. Like it's really hard to find a major league player in those rounds. Um, so, you know, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like I always say like, look, we're going to, we're going to work really hard. We're going to, we're going to look at it every which way. And then there's a pencils down moment where like some common sense, you know, look forward to draft day. Another team takes that player. Are you indifferent or are you like, Ugh. You know, do, and I, that was the guy we wanted. That's the guy we wanted on our backfields that we wanted to work with in development. Um, 
trying to, you know, take all that work and, and put it in the end zone, so to speak. Um, you know, I think this is the time of year where that softer focus and like uh, Paul, as good as I've been around, after all this work running around, here are like the three guys that are really stuck on his brain. Um, and, and, you know, for all of our staff to sort of you know, have those guys and we talk through them. And, um, you know, the odds, are, again, are against you in those rounds. But, uh, you know, uh, just really, really work through that process and try to find the guys we want. How about, let me ask you this question, knack. I love the word. Um, is when you say when Paul's got knack, he's got a knack for this. Is it based on, in your mind, feel and experience, um, uh, pounding the bushes, driving in a car, going to so many different venues? Is the knack based on um, numbers, being able to read video, uh, data-driven? Or is the knack based on a combination of both? Because to me, they would, I, I'm not trying to answer the question. For me, that would be... I mean, my experience in my life as a scout was based on all of those different things. So it sounds to me like he has a good eye, like he sees things. I mean, I'm really big into seeing things. Um, certain guys, certain scouts, they can see things. And you have to see things to me without bias. You have to have this this filter about yourself that you're able to keep your own personal feelings aside from this whole process. And what am I seeing in a pure world, pure intentions, pure basis? So when you talk about Mac. How would you uh, define Knack for a guy like him? Well, his feel is incredible, and that's that is a, a hard thing to, you know. Some guys have better feel than others, and he um, now Paul is very curious. Uh, he's always thinking through the player every which way. He is not uh, a run with the crowd type of guy. I mean, you hear a lot of scouts. I was at this game, and there were five scouting directors there. You know, to some degree, who cares? Like we're we're gonna scout our process and and ultimately determine the guys we like. Um, and then Paul really knows. Um, I mean, he spends a lot of time on the backstory, the, the human being. We got to this point where where um, uh, it can go. I mean, like Tony Gonsling is a, is a great example. I mean, it's, Tony's not the only guy who was a two way player in college, and maybe like more time and effort spent on, as a hitter. There are, there are those guys, but there was there were parts of Tony where Paul was really bullish. Um, you know, even after we drafted him, I remember Paul called me. I, I saw Tony that summer, like, "What do you think?" And I kind of gave a generic review. I was like, "Hey, so you know, he's touching ninety four. He can spin it." And like, and and Paul was just adamant. He's like, "Give in a year or two, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised how this turns out." And uh, that's cool. You know, so there's definitely a lot of feel. Um, and and Paul um, really digs deep on sort of the person and the story and, and what we're getting. Love it. I'll just uh, conclude with this. I, when I was a young scout sitting at Packard Stadium at ASU, I'm sitting among like this gaggle of really legendary scouts. But uh, of course, among them was some guys that maybe maybe did not do as much work or weren't as good. And I would, uh, it led me to believe or conclude that some of these guys could lose their sense of sight and still be able to scout, but if they lost their sense of hearing, they were done. I mean, because when you when you travel in a gaggle, like you're talking about, um, some of these some of these guys just scout based on um, what everybody else is saying. I like the lone wolves, Lloyd Christopher, lone wolf, uh, Mister Boone, uh, lone wolf. All these dudes would sit off to the side by themselves. They did not want to be influenced or influence anybody else around them. And I love. Uh, the real, the real scouts, man. That I hung at Gene Thompson, the best. Uh, I, I hung out with some really legendary scouts, and and it was really obvious to me. Some guys, if they could not hear anymore, they were done as a scout. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a pretty cool thing. I mean, even Paul Paul's on the Cape right now. He texted me last night. I mean, it just it is a mindset to to go back to the original question that mm-hmm. there are uh, players, and and I th- I think our whole staff. I mean, last year. You know, day three is now rounds 11 through 20, and, and we work through the process. We take the guys, and we get them into our mini camp, and off we go. And instructionally, um, and our, you know, our player development staff, and we work hand in hand. And, um, you know, it's it's like, look, there's a reason why we took those 10 players in rounds 11 through 20. Uh, there's a chance that the major league outcome we can see. Uh, this is, you know, you go to back to player development, the player plans. Where has he been? Where is he now? Where is he going? Um, we have time in the minors to, to, you know, Chris Newell, who we took in the 13th round last year out of the University of Virginia, 
um, leads his draft class in home runs as we sit here today. 17 home runs. We, we took the entire summer and fall to just rebuild his swing, kind of what we did with Altman. Start from scratch, very good athlete, and, and let's build a better foundation to go compete. Um, but there's a real uh, – even though the reality is how many of those 10 guys, rounds 11 through 20, will pan out, I don't know. Um, how much – you know, will it be evident to, to, you know, major league fans and media? It'll take some time, but mm-hmm. um, the starting point matters. And, and we gave ourselves a chance with those 10 guys. Now, here's a stat for you from 2015 to 2019, the Dodgers drafted and signed 33 major leaguers. Awesome. And to give you an idea of how many that, that is the other teams in the NL West, nobody had more than 27. So the Dodgers are picking after everybody else, and they're producing more big leaguers. And the 2016 draft, I mean, people are talking about that as an all-time draft. You're talking about Will Smith, Gavin Lux, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, Jordan Sheffield, Dean Kramer, Devin Smeltzer, Andre Scrub, Luke Rayleigh, Zach McKinstry. It goes on and on and on. And what I keep noticing, Josh, is you guys, especially with the college players, not necessarily from Power 5 conferences, we're talking later in mid-rounds here, um, what is it about the college player today that the Dodgers have been hitting on? Well, it's it, it depends. And, and it's, you know, it's funny. I mean, even I'm sure you guys know this. I mean, I, I think the pitching, maybe at the more the power conferences at the college level, more resembles like lower level professional pitching they're using the, you know they have their pitching labs the, the the language the tech the pitch characteristics some of the movement principles so it, it sort of looks like you know uh, and obviously there's been some crossover with with guys coming straight from college to a big league pitching coach job and, and i don't think the hitting flows quite the same so um and it's just hard. We spent a lot of time with college staffs. I mean, they don't, they have players from 18 to 21. They don't have as much practice time. They've got to win tonight. Um, what I just described with Chris Newell or James Altman is just time they don't have. Um, and, and when we, you know, talk, we talked to guys last year, guys who were high picks, dominated major conferences, and we either interview them face to face or get on Zoom. Um, it's pretty basic. They're just trying to survive the college baseball gauntlet in the SEC or the PAC or the ACC or whatever. And so we have to kind of know what we're starting with. Um, And on the hitting side in particular, I think it's a more advanced curriculum. I mean, Will Smith, who did surge late, so I think a few teams had him in that area of the draft. But Some people thought we took him too high. And, and, you know, Will really didn't play a lot till his junior year, uh, was a catcher conversion in college, um, and, you know, had a very sort of, boring conservative college swing as a junior and you know we said well look you're a great athlete you don't swing and miss you got to get stronger uh we got to hit the driver off the tee we got we got to build a more dynamic swing and, and as we went um you know there's a point in double a with will i said hey we gotta put we gotta put the old will and the new will together this sort of elite contact skill hitter with the guy who can do damage and and you know and he's probably as good an example as anyone um, in the peaks and valleys of his own development, I think he never sort of lost sight of the outcome and, and the kind of hitter he could be. Um, there's some trial and error. There's some things that worked for him and didn't. But by the time he sort of had, had you know, developed as a hitter, he obviously he's turned out to be a really good major league hitter. And if I could, I wanted to follow up. We talked about those guys that, you know, you do so much work on background of players and I'm sure it's probably something that can put a guy over the top, move you up on the board. When you love the character, you find out about the background, the family, the the motor inside the player. Does it sometimes go the other way, Josh, where you've got someone who's extremely talented and, and yet some of the, the things that you cannot measure the makeup starts to turn you off where you start sliding down or you just simply wouldn't touch a player, even though the talent on paper looks like, you should be taking him. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, again, it's, it's this vast amount of information. And what, what do we do with it? I mean, if we give, you know, vision tests or psych tests, is that, you know, like any sort of, or even look at stats, a strikeout rate, is that a finding tool or an elimination tool? What is this information doing for us? And, um, you know, some of that stuff might eliminate guys. It's guys that we just don't think are going to fit what we're trying to do. I'm not sure that like, helps us find guys and 
And like a lot of things, there, there's a big middle when you get to makeup. I mean, a lot of guys uh, are, are fine. I mean, I, I always sort of say, um, you know, the, the elite makeup is like a guy who is absolutely going to get the most out of what he's got and he's going to elevate the environment he's in. Um, the, the sort of below average makeup is going to fall short and sort of deflate the environment he's in. So we want to stay away from those types of guys and uh, and having a feel for that. Now, again, there's a lot of detail. I mean, kind of the mindset, the openness, how they learn uh, their their backstory with their personal life. Um, so it's not always easy, but we kind of want to know the person um, before we make the selection. Very cool. We're going to take a quick break and we get back. I want to ask Josh if he has a favorite story. There's so many stories that scouts and scouting directors are, are privy to over the years. Is there a favorite that stands out in his years in baseball? We'll be back right after this. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. Our guest is Josh Burns, Senior VP of Baseball Operations for the Dodgers. And, and Josh, going back to all your years here in baseball, is there one player, one story that stands out for you um, that, that gives you the most, I don't know, reward or pleasure? Yeah, that's that's a good question. There's some great stories along the way. I'll, I'll give you uh, rapid fire on a few. I mean, one is is certainly Dustin Pedroia. Um, you know, he, you know, too small, can't run, can't throw. Um, so, and 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 Joe, obviously, it's been a lot of. I mean, it was it was good hitting in Packard Stadium at ASU. So, you know, I was kind of asking our guys. I was obviously in Boston at the time. Can I? 
let's just try a lineup. I'd like to see him on the road against the best arm he's going to face. So we go into Wichita. He's going to face Mike Pelfrey, who's a sophomore. Um, and Pelfrey's, you know, top of the first. Pedroia's going to lead off. And, and Pelfrey's throwing 97 and 99 warming up. So, okay, here's a good test. First pitch of the game, hits it off the scoreboard. <laughs> and um, obviously, Dustin, he kind of never stopped. And, and, and But, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I actually, uh, a few years ago, um, went to his house. We had, you know, at the time in the folly, we had Cody Bellinger and Alex Verdugo and Willie Calhoun. And I actually wanted Willie Calhoun to meet Dustin. So we went over there. And uh, and it's like those those that night in Wichita is very vivid for him. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And uh, so um, fast forward to L.A. days. I, I think Gavin Lux was a good one. You know, it's, it's hard to scout the cold weather high school guys and probably the, you know, part of the Mike Trout story, how in the world did he fall to where he fell is, is just trying to evaluate him against cold weather high school players. And so, you know, Gavin Lux is from Wisconsin and soggy field, cold, wet day, you know, just not a great environment. So I, I and, and I knew this was open to us. I asked his dad, I said, hey, can you work out for us after the game? He said, sure. So it was his uncle, who was the number two pick in the draft uh, back in the day, coaching at Carthage College so the game's over we drive down the road to the college it's a nice turf field uh it's nighttime on a spring night in Wisconsin and the fog rolls in and and um so it's really just me and Gavin his dad and his uncle and um and it's you know, 175 pound teenage Gavin Lux would bat the whole deal but it's so foggy like he's hitting balls and we're kind of like did that go out I don't know it sounded good and uh you know it's just hard to really gauge like the raw power in the fog I mean, the, the scouting stories are wonderful. I mean, even in the book, I have one about scouting Danny Jackson and burning a field in uh, Trinidad, Colorado, to make sure I could see him because I knew Larry Himes was not going to be happy with me if I didn't get a chance to see him on the last game of the year. Uh, but that's that's what scouts do, man. You do whatever it takes. You go to all these different outposts, uh, and this is where you find people like this. Uh, I love that. Pedroia, I mean, like uh, it's like it's not unlike a David Eckstein. I mean, a different player, but same. Um, guys like that, you take, uh, they're outliers. They're absolutely outliers. They're not, they don't fall within the five tool category, obviously, but eventually they just know how to win. And that's another thing about scouting, um, winners. I mean, who's, who's a winner here? Who's, who's the guy that's not going to be denied? Who's the guy that's going to always be there in in, in critical moments? Who's the guy that's going to lead in a bad moment in the clubhouse? All these things are so vital for a team to be as successful consistently I say the Dodgers are. I mean, uh, you know, Andrew and I are good friends. I know what Andrew does there specifically too, and all these things have to be considered. And I, I think you guys do a great job with that. I watch obviously, and you bring up all these guys with names that nobody's ever heard of, and they are all primarily consonants with no vowels in their last name, and they're really good baseball players. And I, I love that about what you guys have done in the recent past. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we we continue, and it's it's you know it kind of builds on itself. It's funny, even the. Uh, the COVID draft with five rounds, there was a gap in time where we didn't know, you know, how much bonus money MLB would allow teams to spend. Let's say you guys undrafted in five rounds, you have a hundred thousand to, to offer to guys who are undrafted. So we're at the time we were prepping a lot of our success stories from the sixth round down. Right. Uh, we made a little video. So we figured it'd be old, old school recruiting. Like, okay, we're, we're undrafted. And we can offer a hundred thousand and hear sort of our testimonial. Like we take a lot of pride in finding guys after the fifth round. And in this particular year, it, it might've been a lot of guys who were out there as free agents. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's something we've always taken a lot of pride in. Now we have a lot of success to point to and, and it's, you know, it's, and it permeates the organization. I mean, there's no, um, once you're in, it's, it's, it's a meritocracy and, and, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I mean, it was good the other night, you know, it's, it just feeds on itself. Like I said, I was in Tulsa, so we're having a staff dinner after a day game and on the TV, Johnny DeLuca and Nick Robertson who were both low picks were making their debut. And, uh, you know, obviously that's a feel good moment. We take a lot of pride in, in uh, those guys getting through and, and we're pretty excited uh, to watch them in a major league game. That's one thing when scouts, when you sign somebody, my God, are you attached to that player? Um, and you, you're constantly, even as, as, a, as a young manager, I was also a scout. So I'm always looking at my guys that night. And then eventually these guys work their way through the system and they become major league players. 
and there are guys that you had scouted. It's it's pretty significant to that man, that scout. Um, they 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 pretty much live and die by that whole moment right there, and uh, they spend so much time and there's so much emotion invested in that particular player. So I believe me, that's very identifiable to me, man. It's 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 all of that. Uh, I love scouts. I love the scouting profession. I was raised by these guys, and so I totally understand what you're talking about, and I think it's great. And I love the idea of, you know, primarily like really uh, prehistoric scouting where you just went out after a certain number of rounds in a COVID year and you really apply like general scouting principles too. And all of a sudden you find some pay dirt, man. That's pretty awesome. And Josh, you mentioned that COVID draft there. I mean, we're watching Bobby Miller out in the mound here dominate in his first few starts in the big leagues, touching 100 miles an hour with the fastball. There's got to be a story there with Miller in that COVID year where the college baseball season was truncated. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think like a lot of teams, I don't know that going in, I mean, we don't rank them by round, but we sort of soft rank them. I don't, I don't know that he was maybe preseason or going in top 40, top 50, but probably the next group. And, um, you know, so he had the four starts. We clearly saw things we liked. And then, you know, the world stopped. So we watched those starts over and over again on video. Um, I think the last one was at Wake Forest against Patrick Schuster. So it was a good matchup of those two guys. And well, we're watching the same four starts over and over again. And and I think um, the knocks on Bob, I mean, he wasn't a dominant performer in college. He had a great arm. He was probably 95, 97, some length to his arm action. And, and the repertoire wasn't fully developed, but um, even talking to our pitching guys, um, you know, we felt like we could actually like help with the arm action, which is something you didn't believe maybe five years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and we also knew, um, you know, with COVID, like, you know, Bobby had four college starts and now he's in our groundhog day camp at USC, um, in the COVID scenario. So he's facing, you know, Caber Ruiz and Luke Rayleigh and Gavin Lux and like, like experienced upper level hitters every day um, and, and kind of getting his brains beat in. Um, and, but he's learning, he's watching and he, you know, he's only had four starts. So his arm's fine. And he can pitch all summer and go to instructional league. Um, but we were able to change his arm action almost immediately. Um, and then over time, you know, he's even thrown harder. Obviously he's probably averages 98, 99, a hundred, but it's, it's learning and it's hard in the minors. We went through it with, with, Arias and Bueller and all, you know, not this sort of like, I always say like pitching ninja Twitter kill shot. We're trying to build pitchers and we're trying to record outs and, and especially for the guys that can start. Um, and Bobby has a really deep mix. Obviously he's known for his velocity, but um, really learning how to affect the in and out, up, down game um, and front back too. And um and learning how to be efficient and get outs quickly when you need to. So it's, it's, you know, you can't always complete that in the minors. I mean, Bobby has gone to the major leagues and probably thrown the best. He, I mean, kind of the version we all believed was in there. And, and you know, uh, he's sort of like gone right to it uh, in his first four starts. I mean, the talent level is extraordinary, but putting it together and a guy who can go through a major league lineup a few times is very difficult. But Bobby uh, – you know, has really stepped up to the challenge of being a big league pitcher, and our team needs it. Great stuff. Hey, Josh, I got one more job for you. It's not a scouting assignment, but it's an easy one. Uh, we call this segment a reading from the Book of Joe, where you get to pick a number, any number between 1 and 368, and we'll turn to that page in our book, and we'll see what it brings us because we feel like no matter where you crack it open, you'll find something interesting or surprising. So it, it's your choice, Josh Burns. I feel like you probably don't get many guesses in the in the over a hundred. Most people are thinking of a player or a uniform number. So, but uh, I'll I'll go with that. I, I think uh, we take great pride in uh, the number forty-two, and uh, it's the name of our our platform. Obviously, after the great Jackie Robinson. So uh, I'll go with forty-two. I love that forty-two, and sure enough, it has something to do with scouting, Joe. Of course, it does. This is this is. Uh, <laughs> You mentioned the great Larry Himes. Yeah. Yeah. This is going back to 1981, where Larry Himes has offered you a job. At the turn of the new year, 1981, Madden was due in Anaheim to meet with Himes about his new job. 
No way the 69 Volvo was going to make it from Boulder to Anaheim, chosen Boulder, Colorado at the time. At the time, Chrysler, under the restructuring of Lee Iacocca and in the thick of a recession, was practically giving away cars. No money down, minimal payments. Madden walked into a Chrysler dealership, did not put a penny down, and drove off in a new Plymouth TC3. Correct. He had a a little more than $100 in his pocket, his entire nest egg, no credit card. I'm sure my parents were paying for the insurance. They probably had to co-sign for me at the time, he says. So I head west, going through the Rockies. (laughs) Joe, I mean, what was that like for you? You you get hired by Larry Himes. You're not even sure what the job is at that point, correct? No, I didn't. I didn't know where I was going yet. I didn't. You just knew it was a job in baseball. Right. And you you were didn't think twice about taking it. And getting there was was half the fun, I guess. <laughs> you would think that's hyperbole, right? It was like a hundred bucks. It was a new T C three green, uh four speed, I think, on the floor. Um, and I start driving through Colorado, it was at seventy, and then you get to the other side, that junction either go right, go up to Reno, et cetera, or go left down through Vegas. I went right. Uh, I went up around the, that bend there and eventually made my way down to Anaheim. And when I did, Larry was not certain if I was going to scout um, in Southern California, like say from the 605 North or whatever, or to Semi Arizona. He chose to Semi Arizona. So I go there and we've talked about a hundred bucks. I don't, it was less than that by then. Um, my first check was probably worth 500 bucks or something like that for two weeks. And eventually I got to Cal- uh, Arizona and Luke Cohenauer breaks me. But I mean, stuff like that just doesn't happen anymore, but I'm so grateful it did. Uh, you have to become creative regarding how to make ends meet. Um, you're definitely passionate about what you're doing. It's, there was only one thing that mattered, that I had this job. And then how do I how do I do this job well? And I did. I scouted four states and because of Jimmy Driscoll, who was scouting for Baltimore, had a credit card. And I just rode with Jimmy through this through. Uh, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico. And that's how, I, that's how I completed my first year of scouting because of Jimmy. Yeah, would not change a thing for it, but that's exactly how it came down. And uh, I'm eternally grateful that I had that opportunity. And how long did that car last? <laughs> uh, the car lasted a couple years, and then I tr- stupidly traded it in on an Audi Fox station wagon because I thought it looked cool, and that engine seized me driving from Tucson back to Phoenix after a night game, uh, U of A, the, the a piston went through the engine block halfway between like uh, Picacho Peak area, and I had to get it towed in. And Joe Sparks, who was a minor league manager at that time, Greg Sparks' son, Sparky was working at a car dealership in Phoenix. Sparky hooked me up with the 79 Caprice Classic, and the rest was history. There's probably a scouting lesson in there somewhere. You Seriously. fell in love with it. Yeah, don't trade in the TC3. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> stick with the old reliable. Right. But you know what's interesting, Joe? Larry Hines obviously saw something in you, mm-hmm. right? There, mm-hmm. there was some spark. There was some passion. There was knowledge, intellect about the game of baseball. Uh, and I'm wondering, in your job, Josh, do you see that in some players whose careers are starting to wind down and, and, and you'll approach them about continuing in baseball, but in a different capacity than playing. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, you know, there've been a few, I mean, kind of as, I mean, as, as active players from Jerry DePoto to AJ Hinch to Mark Pryor. I mean, there are a lot of guys who, as you get to that point, Hey, have you thought about what's next? And, um, you know, even, um, you know, in Tyson Ross, who we just hired, um, you know, he was, he was with us in Tulsa and, and, um, you know, there are a lot of guys who, 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 offer that wisdom and we have you know adrian gonzalez was in in tulsa so i think that's another neat thing we do um that expertise from from ex-players i mean placido polanco jamie wright uh, uh willis helps you know we have a lot of guys so that perspective uh raul banya's when he was with us um it's invaluable and and you know and it, and it all works hand in hand i mean these you know even Adrian Gonzalez and Tyson Ross, I mean, there's there's a lot they know, and there's a lot that, okay, this is what's going on behind the curtain. This is what we're trying to do with this group of players. Um, but there's always, you know, nuggets, you know, facing the high-ride fastball, talking to our young hitters. Um, 
And I kind of, you know, I said, look, Adrian and I were talking about a dinner last night. Here are some of his thoughts. Like, make sure you're picking his brain. Um, and, you know, and it's how it goes. I mean, one of the relievers we faced in that series, we got called to the big league. So these guys know it's close. They've got to, like, continue to grow and get better and, and use all their resources. And some of that is the modern stuff. And some of that is, you know, some of our uh, uh, coaches and ex-players who, who, who might offer something that really clicks for a player. Very cool stuff, Josh. I mean, it's been fascinating talking with you, kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit on, I think, to what a lot of fans is sort of the mysterious business, if they think about it at all, uh, in terms of identifying and developing players. So thanks so much for your insight. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it, Josh. It's it, Like I said, it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's good to see you again. Please pass along my best to Andrew, and good luck in the draft, buddy. Okay, thanks, guys. Well, Joe, that was a lot of fun. I mean, especially in today's day and age, we have so much technology. Sometimes you think people are getting scouted just entirely off of metrics, right? And it's just good to hear some of those tried and true methods. Yeah, they still work. Josh has a great background. He talked about this, the time in Cleveland. Uh, and actually, I was part of a, he was part of an interview that I had for the Red Sox job. Was that 2003? Going into the 2004 season. That's where I first got to meet him. So yeah, it was. Um, it's great to hear that stuff, and I I'll, and I'll say it again, man. Scouting to me is where it's happening. I I uh, I love that. I love that part of the game, and I truly believe the success that I've had in the game is really attributable to the fact that I was raised by those scouts in Arizona in 1981. Yes, and by the way, it was good seeing you the other day at the Yogi Berra Museum outing at Montclair Country Club in New Jersey. How'd you like the course, Joe? I think I survived it, but my God, I mean, it's a combination of wind and hills and elephant backs on different greens. Uh, it, was, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's like there's dinosaurs or elephants yeah. buried underneath all those uh, oh, greens my. there. Oh, my. I, I mean, didn't see a flat putt all day. Everything was elevated. There was all plateaus everywhere. Great time, though. Lindsay was great. I hung out with Bucky Dent uh, a little bit. It was great to see Bucky again, too. Absolutely. I was always a lot of fun. A lot of baseball people turn out for that event. Yeah. Um, so you got something to take us home here? Yeah, it's appropriate based on number 42 from Josh today. Again, sometimes it just happens that I want Branch Rickey. And uh, of course, Mr. Rickey signed Mr. Robinson. And I love this. It's very, it's very brief, but it's cuts to the core. Never surrender opportunity for security. Take chances. Fortune favors the bold. Love it. Love that stuff. I, that was so, Mr. Ricky. I read I read a book years ago, The Ferocious Gentleman. Uh, Lee Lowenfish wrote it. Lee and I became friends, and it's such a great account of the life of Branch Ricky. Um, so we got, became friends. I read this book. I was always a Ricky fan. I'm just going to tell you if you want to really read a great book about Mr. Ricky Lee Lowenfish, The Ferocious Gentleman outstanding that's a great recommendation branch ricky was someone who was ahead of his time in in so many ways a lot of lessons there you can get from that book mm-hmm. he's mr scout joe it's been a lot of fun we'll see you next time all right brother thanks a lot buddy be well the book of joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. 
going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.